There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to the Heredity Podcast. After a break for the holidays, we're back with a new year, lots of new science and a new host. My name's Noah Baker, and I'll be taking the reins from long-term host Jeff Marsh. This month, we're studying sea urchins. Could releasing captive-reared urchins be damaging their wild counterparts? Plus, the mysterious link between face colour and reproductive incompatibility in finches. Sea urchin gonads may not sound like the most appetising meal, but they're in fact eaten all over the world and often are considered a delicacy. From experience, I can attest to their deliciousness. Fishing for sea urchins to get to their yummy gonads has led to the depletion of their population, and so, in an attempt to maintain the stock, some fisheries have turned to a process called hatchery rearing, a commonly used practice around the world. I spoke with Maria Segovia Viadero, a PhD student at the University of Alicante, who's been studying hatchery rearing and its impact on the genetic diversity of sea urchins. I started off by asking her, what exactly is hatchery rearing? Uh, hatchery rearing is the same thing as uh, cultivating uh, populations under control conditions. And, and how do we use this to maintain the fish stocks in our oceans? Aumenting the supply of uh, juveniles with releases of hatchery reared juveniles. So essentially you can breed juveniles in captivity and release them back into the wild? Yes. Now, that sounds like a good idea. Are there any problems with doing this? Extreme practice can result in hatchery populations that differ genetically from wild ones. So you may end up with a population that doesn't have as diverse a genetic makeup as it would have done before. Why is that a problem? It is important because it is related uh, to local adaptations and resilience uh, to environmental risks. So a population is more resilient to environmental risks and things like disease if it's got a more diverse population? Yes. And you were studying specifically sea urchins. Why were you studying sea urchins? In recent recent years, uh, there have been some attempts to develop aquaculture techniques and uh, to augment overexploited populations with the release of hatchery juveniles. And okay, that's fine, but do we know if these hatchery sea urchins might pose a risk to white populations? And these sea urchins are for consumption, for eating? Yes. Its gonads are considered a delicacy, in, mainly in France, but also in some other countries, such as Spain, or Italy and, and Greece. So what is it that you did in your study? We investigated genetic differences between wild and early generation hatchery disease populations. And we did it. We used uh, microsatellites as genetic markers, uh, that were uh, previously developed uh, for this species. What, what did you find? Uh, we found losses of genetic diversity, increases in relativeness, and uh, significant changes in, alle- in allelic uh, frequencies. This means that hatchery uh, reared populations uh, were less diverse and differentiated from wild individuals. Were you surprised to find that? Uh, not really, because... Um, we know 
from we know from other studies, this normally happens in hatchery breeding. How might these results impact the way that we manage our fish stocks in the future? Should we stop doing hatchery rearing? What we need is to know that releasing hatchery rear uh, fish uh, means that uh, we are releasing uh, fish less diverse and differentiated from wild uh, individuals. Does that mean that hatchery rearing isn't a very good technique to maintain stocks? Not exactly. If uh, hatcheries uh, consider the genetic risk of uh, releasing uh, hatchery juveniles uh, from the start of the process, and uh, they could avoid uh, this kind of problems. And how could they try to avoid it? What, what, what steps could they take? It's important, firstly, to maintain the large uh, festive population size, because all, although domestication can be, uh, cannot be avoided, additional detrimental change can be prevented. Secondly, uh, to use wild products be, uh, from wild sources because they are expected to produce hatchery populations that represent lower genetic risk to recipient populations. And finally, to replace its broodstock for every new batch of juveniles or at least uh, on a regular basis so that successive uh, releases of juveniles derived derive from different broodstocks will increase the overall effective population size. That was Maria Segovia Viadero from the University of Alicante. She carried out her lab work at the University of Algarve. Finches shot to fame in the world of genetics and evolution way back in the 19th century when they played a key role in helping Darwin develop his theory of evolution by natural selection. Today, they still capture the imagination of many researchers, including Kangwook Kim from the University of Sheffield. He and his team have been investigating the link between colour variation and reproductive incompatibility in the Gouldian finch. Here's Kangwook. This bird itself is a very beautiful bird, but it has a... Uh, three different colors on face, uh, black face and red face and yellow. Um, it is not only the color faces that is different, and they are different in terms of a hormone level and the personality. These differences go hand in hand with some problems when it comes to reproduction. For the last uh, decades, it has been found that um, there is incompatibility between these morphs. So, if, for example, if the black and red uh, birds breed, their offsprings are not performing great, and they die early. Also, in some evidence shows that they like to uh, breed with the same colored uh, mates. Uh, that we call kind of pre-zygotic or post-zygotic incompatibilities. This link between color differences and reproductive incompatibility isn't a new phenomenon in the natural world. Color polymorphism is often associated with other uh, hormone or other uh, uh, transcription factors, something like that. And this color itself can be acting as a signal to recognize it as a same uh, sort of birds. So maybe these colors are actually acting like a bit of a warning signal to other birds. If you're not the same color as me, stay away. You're not compatible. But that begs the question, where does that association come from? Kangwook and his team think it could be down to their genes. Perhaps the genes controlling the colour of the bird's face are linked with other genes that lead to incompatibility. So if you have a tightly linked uh, locus 
they might act together as a one big gene. We call it supergene. So lots of linked genes making a supergene. A reasonable hypothesis. But there's a problem. Chromosomes undergo a process called recombination. During recombination, genes get mixed up. That helps maintain the genetic diversity of the population, but this mixing could also break down the links between the genes in the supergene. So Kangwook and his team wanted to find out if the colour genes somehow managed to avoid recombination and so maintain the linkages. There are many processes that reduce the recombination that also increase the linkages. Uh, one of the factors would be a genomic rearrangement between chromosomes. So if there is an inversion, for example, uh, the gene exchange will be limited within these inverted regions. And another one is a positional effect. So within chromosomes, uh, there are some regions that where the recombination is uh, reduced, such as centromere. If you look at the telomere area, the recombination is very elevated. But in the centromere area, the recombination is very limited. So they decided to find out where the gene for colour existed on the chromosome. What we looked at was if this gene is mapped near the centromere area or is it close to the, any genomic rearrangement. After searching for the gene, however, the plot thickened. Well, actually, we found this gene, this locus is not close to the centromere, nor it's not uh, located within any genomic rearrangement, at least in, in the, our marker densities. And the recombination itself was not that uh, low compared to other regions. Kangwook insists that even though they didn't find evidence yet, it could just be a problem of scale. At, at the moment, uh, this resolution is quite low. So if we go, go into this region in more details, and if we can find some very specific regions, then we, might be, we may be able to tell more fine scale of region of these incompatibilities. But at the moment, there was no reason to think this is caused by a positional effect or any genomic rearrangement, in, at least in the chromosome-wide uh, genomic rearrangement. There is another possibility, however, to explain the link between colour and reproductive incompatibility. This gene itself could have many different uh, functions. It is known that this gene expression is also associated with uh, hormonal uh, differences between these morphs, and red birds are quite aggressive compared to the black birds. And these birds are quite stressed in the very competitive environment as well. So this gene that is controlling this color might also control these hormone levels. So instead of the gene for color being linked to genes that cause incompatibility, the gene for color could actively be causing incompatibility through secondary functions, a process called pleiotropy. These associations between color and compatibility are not uncommon in the animal kingdom, so I couldn't help but ask Kangwook if the same could be true in humans with different hair or skin colours. Well, that is kind of very sensitive uh, question. <laughs> I can't really tell about the human studies, but I still think that there could be some possibility about that. But you know, at least we can test that kind of a hypothesis within, with these finches. That was Kangwook Kim from the University of Sheffield. And with that, we've reached the end of this episode of the Heredity Podcast. Thanks for listening and tune in next month.
Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 